0: So we're going we're to enter into a series this morning that we're calling 119. Um, we're going to look at Psalm 119. We're going to actually begin a journey. It's going to be a long trek. Does anyone know how many verses are in Psalm 119? There are 176 verses. We're going to do it all this morning. <laughs> and you'll still be here next Sunday. No, the plan is to revisit this Psalm every summer. Um, this is ambitious, by the way, Um, every summer for the next number of years. um, So perhaps in August, um, after some holiday time has been had, and and maybe, you know, I get back from wherever or whatever has been going on, we'll get back into Psalm 119. Um, And by my calculations, it'll probably take us until about, I'm going to say 2028, should the Lord spare me and all of us, Um, to get through Psalm 119. So we're going to keep coming back to it over the next number of summers. We'll pick up wherever we left off the previous summer. So there's incentive to be around every summer. You're going to jump back in to Psalm 119. So we're going to take out a stanza or a verse per Sunday. So let's open God's Word at Psalm 119. going to read the first eight verses this morning. Psalm 119. Verses 1 to 8. My eyesight deteriorated on holiday, (laughs) which is not good. I can just about see it. Okay, this is God's Word. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong, they walk in His ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all of your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. We thank God for his word to us and for us. Prevailing religious skepticism, the struggle to keep faith, but also the eager desire to press on in wholehearted obedience. So prevailing religious skepticism, the struggle to keep faith, but the desire to press on in wholehearted obedience to God. That's the word that the psalmist in Psalm 119 is living in. That's the context within which the psalmist writes these words in Psalm 119. The poet is living in a world of religious skepticism where people are doubting who God is and anything to do with faith. But he has, and we'll hear this as we journey through Psalm 119, he has this deep desire to press on to press on despite all of the struggles that he encounters within his own life. Whenever I was in training for ministry at college, one of the most memorable things, believe it or not, you'll struggle to believe this, one of the most memorable things for me was actually learning the Hebrew alphabet. Okay? And if you're going to study Hebrew, you've got to begin somewhere. And that somewhere is inevitably going to be with the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet. It's a good place to start until until you're introduced to symbols, not letters. It's a language that looks more like Egyptian hieroglyphics than an interpretable uh, interpretable kind of discernible language that can be understood. Incredibly difficult um, to get your head around the Hebrew language. The way that we learn the 22-letter Hebrew alphabet was really really academic it was through using an adapted version of the alphabet song (laughs) a b c d e f g only it was in hebrew and we learned the alphabet using that song it was memorable i'll never forget it i recited that song over and over and over again in the car um, on the way to college i'm not going to sing it this morning (laughs) definitely not no, no, I did think about it for a second. No, I would, I would let myself down. So some, some introductory comments on Psalm 119. I think it's really important that we get our heads around this enormous, vast, epic Psalm before we really look at these first eight verses. See, Psalm 119 uh, is a Hebrew acrostic poem. That means it's comprised using successive letters of this Hebrew alphabet. And this would have helped the the student of the Word of God to remember, to memorize the words of the psalm. So they would have used the Hebrew letters of the alphabet to help them remember the words of the psalm. Typically, it would have been one Hebrew uh, letter of the alphabet that would have corresponded with one verse, but occasionally you would have had uh, several verses um, under the one Hebrew letter. And that's the case in Psalm 119. If you've looked in your Bible, you'll notice that each letter of the Hebrew alphabet corresponds to one verse or one stanza within Psalm 119. So there's one Hebrew letter per verse of Psalm 119. It's a beautifully crafted song. Psalm 119 is incredibly detailed. It's beautiful in how it's been put together by the poet. It's full of words of praise and worship, words of adoration. It's a giant among the Psalms, not only because of its length, 176 verses, the longest single chapter in the whole Bible, but it's also epic in how it points us As the people of God, do the primacy and the priority of the Word of God in our lives. Over and over and over again, Psalm 119 talks about the instruction of the Lord, the Word of God, and how important it is for us as the people of God. One quick story in connection with the length of Psalm 119. I read this during the week. There was a bishop of Edinburgh in the 17th century called George Wishart. Um, Not to be confused with another Scot by the same name who was martyred a, a century earlier. But this bishop, he was condemned to death for his faith in God. And in medieval Britain, there would have been a custom, and Wishart made full use of this custom. Before a convicted criminal would hang in the gallows, they were given the opportunity to recite or to sing a psalm of their choice. Or they could have invited a, um, a clergy person to come along and recite a psalm as they prepared to hang in front of the people. And Wishart was well aware of this, um, of this custom. And what psalm did he choose? <laughs> he chose Psalm 119, all 176 verses of it. And as the story goes, about two thirds of the way through, Wishart reciting Psalm 119. So probably at, a, at about verse 110, his pardon arrived and he was set free and he was allowed to go. Now, if George Wishart had recited Psalm 117, some of you are probably flicking back. It's two verses. He would have been long gone. But because he knew Psalm 119, it literally saved his life. He, had re- he knew it off by heart. He knew every verse, and he was able, as he hung in that moment of incredible, um, I'm sure, anxiety, um, as he was about to die, he, he recited every verse of Psalm 119, and God's Word literally did set him free. Just an incredible story. It's the longest psalm. Psalm 119 fleshes out in great detail what Psalm number one introduces us to. Psalm 1 says this at the very beginning, blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. Psalm 119 goes into great detail about why it's blessed, why there's blessing and delighting in the word of God, in the law of the Lord. There are at least eight different Hebrew terms used in Psalm 119 for the law of the Lord. And and the poet over the 176 verses, he flows, he ebbs, and he flows between these different terms. And, And they all point to the one same message, that there is delight. There is blessing in the law of the Lord, in God's word. And I want us to feel that flow As we journey through this, I want us to sense the the ebb and the flow of the psalm. I want us to enter into the pages, into the words of this psalm. C.S. Lewis, and put it like this, he said about Psalm 119, he said it's crafting as a pattern. He said it's an embroidery, crafted stitch by stitch through long, quiet hours for love of the subject. So here we have a poet who absolutely loves the Word of God. And he carefully crafts this poem in long, quiet hours because he loves the Word of God. So there are about eight terms. I think I have them on the screen. Eight different terms used for the Word of the Lord that that will pop up over and over again as we meander through Psalm 119. The poet, the psalmist will use the word law. He'll use the word testimonies, statutes, word, precepts, commands or commandments. He'll talk about the ordinances of the Lord and he'll talk about the promises of God. They're they're all pointing to the same thing. They're all pointing to what God has spoken and how important it is for us to listen, to take heed and to put into practice what we hear God say to us. So we're going to pick up each of those themes as we journey through Psalm 119. The singular focus on the Word of God and how good it is for us. Some people have said it's a bit boring. How dare they? It's a bit long. Some people say, "Oh, that Psalm 119 is a bit repetitive. It's all about the same thing." Well, I want to I want to encourage us to not have that mindset. I don't want us to think of this as too long, too repetitive, too much about the same thing. And I say that because line after line after line, we're going to be given a different angle or a different perspective on the beauty and the power of the Word of God. Does that excite you? We're going to be given different angles. We're going to see different kind of perspectives on the Word of God, how multifaceted it is, how powerful, how beautiful, how incredible God's Word is for us, given to us by God Himself. Think of it like a a beautiful diamond. Maybe you've seen the graphic that's gone up. Big shout out and thanks to Matthew, oddly, for putting that together. This diamond theme, as we think about Psalm 119, I wish I had a diamond big enough at home to bring this morning and hold up in front of you all I don't have any, no diamonds. Think of it like a beautiful diamond, just like every perceivable angle on a diamond will help us truly appreciate the beauty of the diamond. So every perceivable angle of God's word presented in Psalm 119 will give us a different perspective from which we can, we can stand back and admire and love And see beauty in God's word, which is given to us and for us, for our good and for our flourishing. Don't we know that God's word is for our good? When God speaks, it's for our good and for our flourishing. And so, this morning, as we unpack God's word, God wants to bless us, God wants us to flourish in Him. God's word is so beautiful and so perfect and so good. The power contained within it is so that we might flourish, so that we might become the sons and daughters of the King that we are, so that we might know our true identity in Jesus, the Son of God, so that we might live a life where we experience the blessing of God through every season of the soul. In moments of great darkness, we'll find that God comes and brings light. In moments of despair, we'll find that God speaks and we experience his peace. In moments of great joy, we open up the pages of scripture and and God's word helps us to celebrate, doesn't it? Let's not forget that. God's word is for every single season of the soul. What God has spoken is always for our good. So Psalm 119 will speak to us. As God always does when we open up His Word, the poet will encourage us to listen to the awesome voice of God. If we listen, we will hear Him speak. Are your ears open? We're going to discover again the power in God's Word. God's Word can both stabilize us in life and liberate us. Who needs to be stabilized in life? I know I do. Sometimes life throws stuff at us and we feel like we're rocking all over the place, like like the ground beneath us is shaking. Well, God's word stabilizes us, provides an anchor for the soul. God's word liberates us. God's word sets us free as we experience the promises that are contained in his word for us. God's word will also bring light where there is darkness and his word will bring life where there is death. And so in every season of the soul, God's word will come, will stabilize, will liberate, and will bring light to our path. So, um, having said all of that, this morning we're going to look at stanza one. I think stanza is just a fancy word for verse. Stanza one, and it's entitled by the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and the letter is Aleph. That's Hebrew letter A. I'm going to put a slide up. Sorry about um, all the information on this. That's a lot to take in. I'll break this down. Um, it just helped me whenever I was preparing for this. Because what I see here, what I see in these first eight verses, and I haven't got this, by the way, from anyone else. Um, I haven't got this from a book or from a commentary or from anywhere else. I believe God kind of revealed this um, beautiful truth to me as I sat in His Word um, this week. What I see here. At the very center of this opening stanza, these first eight verses, what I see is the center point, I believe, of the whole psalm. Look at verse four. God has given us his word. The psalmist says, you have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. You have laid down precepts, God, that are to be fully obeyed. In other words, you have given us your word. We're so thankful for the word of God in our hands, aren't we? We're so thankful that God has given us his word, his complete perfect word for us. We're not waiting on the word of God to come. We have the word of God in our hands on our smartphones. We have God's word with us. That's what Psalm 119 is all about. God has given us his word. You have laid down your precepts for us that are to be obeyed. But either side of this truth, I see two things First of all, what's possible for us as the people of God? So if God has given us his word, something dramatic, something incredible is possible for us. Blessing. Blessing, verse one, blessing is possible for those who walk in the ways of the Lord. There is blessing. The second thing is blessing for those who seek the Lord with a whole heart. God has given us his word, and when we live in it, when we step into it, when we live it out, there's great blessing. There's blessing for the people of God. But then what we see on the other side of this is there's not only a possibility, but there's also a pursuit that the psalmist knows he must run after. What will I pursue? Well, he says, I will praise God from an upright heart. And then he says, I will obey God's decrees knowing he will never leave me. So the psalmist knows what's possible. He knows there's blessing contained in the word of God. He knows that if he lives in it and lives it out, if he walks in the ways of the Lord with a whole heart, that he will experience the blessing of God. And then he knows that because of that possibility, he must pursue praise of God with an upright heart. He knows he must live in the Word of God and obey God's decrees, knowing that God will never let him down or leave him. You see, when we know what's possible, we will pursue what's truly worthy. When we know what's possible, we will pursue that with a whole heart. When we know what's possible, we will go after that with a heart that longs to experience the blessing of God. The psalmist knows what's possible. He knows that God is the fount of every blessing. He knows that God is the source. And he knows that he must now pursue God with a heart that longs to praise Him and live in obedience to Him. But there's a a bridging point. There's a link verse here as well that I think is really, really important. The psalmist says in verse 5, It's almost like he has a moment of honesty where he acknowledges his shortcomings and he says, oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Notice he doesn't say, thank you God that my ways are fully steadfast, that I obey all of your decrees all of the time. He doesn't say that. He says, it's a longing. You need to hear the tone. He says, oh God, Father, only if my ways were steadfast. I wish my heart was steadfast in this. He's honest about the struggle. He's honest about his own shortcomings. He's being honest about that. He knows where he's probably tried many times before and failed. He knows that his heart ought to be more steadfast But sometimes he struggles. Oh, how I wish, God, that my heart was more steadfast in obeying your decrees. Or as a message paraphrase puts it, Oh, that my steps might be steady, God, keeping to the course that you have set. So there's blessing. I want you to know that there is great, great blessing in the word of God. When we live in obedience to it, when we get into God's word and let it get into us, when we live in obedience to the word of God, there is blessing. There's a pursuit that we all ought to go on. There's also acknowledging in the middle of it all where we're at with God. Being really honest with him. Being honest about the reality of the struggle that we long to be this, but oh God, how I often feel. How I struggle to walk in your ways in the way that I ought to. You see, none of us, none of us, are Psalm 119 verse one blameless. Is anyone in here blameless? Anyone in here sinless? I'll tell you what, a day at a theme park in 100 degree plus heat, Sweat lashing off your face and down your back reveals that you're sinful and that you're prone to fits of anger and rage and that you're far from the finished product. None of us are blameless. None of us are sinless. It's, it's an ideal, isn't it? We want to walk in the ways of the Lord. We want to pursue righteousness and holiness we don't want to be the one to blame all the time for all of our shortcomings. But the truth is only Jesus was and is always blameless. He is the sinless son of God. He is our aim. Hmm? And so as we strive, as we strive to live in obedience to God, we look to Jesus. Jesus the eternal word of God, the word of God who was with him in the beginning, the eternal logos, the word of God, the son of God, the embodiment of the word of God, the word become flesh. We look to Jesus. Our dependence is always upon him and upon what he has done for us, that he who knew no sin would become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might be the ones that God would look at and see blameless. Jesus has paid it all. And so as we come to a close this morning, we need to acknowledge where we're really at with God. Do we want the blessing of God? Do we want to live in obedience to his word, following in his ways? Let's acknowledge where we're really at. If it bothers you this morning that you're not where you ought to be, I'm glad about that. I'm really glad about that because it reveals that the Spirit of God is at work, prompting, Prompting you to deeper depths, higher heights, as you pursue after God. I want to be part of a church where we long for the ways of God, where we seek His presence with all that we have, and we live in His Word, dependent upon His Spirit, that our hearts would long after Him, that we would never be satisfied, that we would be wholly discontent with the way things currently are, always striving. To go deeper into what God has for us as His people. If you're excited about that, you're in the right church. That's what we're going after. That's what we are going after. So I challenge all of us this morning where are we at with God? Where are we at with His Word? Where are we at? Remember, before the summer, what's your plan? What's your pattern? What's your practice? How's that going? Just a moment of confession again before I close up. Have I ever told you that I sometimes struggle with a wayward heart, with a distracted heart? Sometimes struggle with that. Have I ever told you that sometimes my heart feels divided? Have you ever confessed that sometimes my heart desires one thing, but my mind is quickly distracted in another direction? Do you realize that sometimes I, as your minister, your pastor, sometimes I, even I, wish that my heart could be more steadfast? Oh, God, that my heart would be more steadfast. God, that I would be more steadfast in walking in obedience to you and your word. God, I wish that I could do better. I think we all struggle like that. Psalm 119 is going to remind us of the beauty and the power of the Word of God. And as we're honest about that, he invites us to once again go deeper, to get back into his Word, to know that when we go there, we will find the presence, the goodness, the blessing of God. I said at the start that the context within which the psalmist writes was one of prevailing religious skepticism where the struggle to keep faith was real for people in the psalmist's day. But there was a desire, like we hear in Psalm 119, to press on in wholehearted obedience. That was the pursuit. It's seeing today, isn't it? I don't need to tell any of us that our world is skeptical. There's a prevailing culture of skepticism about God about this. People think we're crazy. Bring it on. <laughs> People think this does not matter, that what we do here is irrelevant. Irrelevant. They're skeptical, skeptical about all of this, that there's such a thing as a faith in a God. Well, here we're going to go back in. We're going to keep going back in to the Word of God. Discovering what God has to say to us and for us as His people. And we're going to live this out. And people are going to see that there is a God worthy of it all. A God who not only made us, but who has a plan and a purpose for our lives here on earth and so we're moving into a new term a new season of life here in carmoney in a culture of prevailing religious skepticism i couldn't be more excited about all that god has in store for us our world needs us as the people of god to be a, a 119 people To be a Psalm 119 people devoted to the Word of God, living in wholehearted obedience to Him. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray and then we're going to sing together. In a moment, we're going to sing two songs. First one, you may well know, some of you may not know it. It, It's called, We Still Believe. And it's so apt that that we sing these words in response because we still believe. We're the people of God who still believe everything that God has for us. So engage with the words. If you're not familiar with the tune, you'll get familiar with it. We're going to enter into a few moments of worship Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that as the one who has made us, as the creator of this whole universe, that your intention for us is to not only know you, but to know that we belong to you to know that you have made us for flourishing and for a purpose. And that purpose is not only to know you, but to to display you to this world that other people might see and know that there is a God greater than any other who calls us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light that we might be children of God. Children not born just of of a natural birth, but children reborn of your spirit—the life that you have given us back again in and through your Son Jesus—and by our spiritual rebirth, the life that you've given us, it is one of your spirit, God. It's a supernatural life. We pray that you would reveal your power to us once again, Lord God. As this Psalm reveals to us what's possible that there is great blessing in your word and in your presence, great blessing. Lord, we pray that we would be honest about where we're at. But Lord God, that you would take us deeper, that we would pursue you. And a pursuit of you begins with praising God from an upright heart. So as we pursue you, Father, we praise you. As we pursue you, Father, we praise you. And as we pursue you, we desire to live in obedience to everything that your word tells us is good. So Lord God, in these moments of response, we pray that you would lift our hearts as we declare that we still believe. Lead us, Spirit of God, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.